This is the Saxo Market Call, daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Thursday, 1st of December, 2022, and a remarkable market reaction, of course, yesterday to that Fed Chair Powell speech, where the uh, I think the content was far less interesting than the market reaction. Fed Chair Powell essentially confirming what the, the market is already pricing, this deceleration to a 50 basis point rate hike in December. Talked about, uh, spent considerable time talking about the components of inflation and where they felt more secure and where inflation is headed and, and where they felt less secure. And then the latter uh, category was the, uh, the the sense of whether the labor market is where the in most of the residual inflationary risk and uncertainty uh, lies from here. So that you know will keep us very focused uh, from here on incoming data, obviously, as was always the case, but especially on on tight labor markets. Um, there was also just a general lack of a strong pushback against this powerful easing of financial conditions we've seen uh, basically uh, the last few weeks uh, and since that November. Uh, FOMC meeting at the, at the start of the month, if you recall, when Fed Chair Powell was so hawkish in the press conference. I think as well, when we look at the scale of this reaction uh, yesterday to uh, what happened, we have to consider this whole uh, options phenomenon we've been talking about for quite some time, and that is the uh, very popularity of trading one-day options, <clears throat> very short-term options. And we saw a similar type of market behavior over that uh, CPI release, where uh, if somewhat smaller, here where we're seeing a tremendous move one day. If you have a lot of options exposure, people having to scramble to hedge against that exposure. And uh, as you, if you see on slide two there, the S&P 500 index, a really important uh, what's uh, happened here technically as well, and important to see if it holds with this big move above that 40, uh, sort of 4,000 plus area, and notably above the 200 day moving average which was around 4050, at least on the cash, and we closed around 4080 on the cash. And you can see in the equity theme basket performance, just uh, you know everything pretty much in green. Uh, no big surprise to see something like uh, defense underperforming the broader market. Uh, but uh, yeah, the high beta stuff doing its uh, doing its dance, and we see things like uh, e-commerce up five percent on one day. We're also getting, uh, to be fair, a couple of further uh, inputs here into the market that helped the U.S. rates lower. And you can see that on slide three, the reaction in two years and 10 years to yesterday's speech from Powell. But we also got a couple of data points, especially that November Chicago PMI, just a really ugly, ugly figure, 37.2 versus the 47 expected. Yes, it's one of these regional surveys. Yes, these are volatile. But I mean, we're getting down into sort of historic uh, lows for this territory, uh, territory for, for this uh, survey. Uh, it's a pretty uh, ugly data point. And um uh, yeah, so we have uh, the general pull away is that uh, the Fed is uh, you know, still going to talk about keeping rates high for next year, but the market has sort of found confidence in its view that eventually they will roll over. In fact, 50 basis points almost priced into uh, from peak to where we will end next year. That's very interesting that the market already starting to get a bit cheeky and, and pricing in those cuts to start. Uh, by uh, well well ahead of the end of the year next year, and then extending obviously out into 2024. Uh, another angle on this, and before I get over to you, uh, Ola, and there's some, a big reaction across the um, uh, precious metals space to this, obviously, and as well as the dollar. Uh, one interpretation some might have is that the Fed is cognizant of the fact that they are risking uh, financial system stability uh, longer term, especially on the quantitative tightening side, if they continue 
to go down the path of further tightening. And some measures of the strain on the system, although we are seeing very easy financial conditions and market conditions out there, lower volatility, et cetera, are in you know an existential market like the U.S. Treasury market. Uh, and you can see on slide four, some measures of that, things like the uh, so-called liquidity index on the left, a measure of the uh, sort of spreads when you're trading uh, treasuries, and then on the right, this long-term chart, I, uh, I believe the original uh, compiler was the Federal Reserve itself. I lifted it from a, a Seeking Alpha article showing that treasury volume uh, has declined sharply. This is supposed to be the most liquid uh, asset market or, or asset class in the world, uh, although not a big surprise to see the big phase shift from the pre-global uh, financial crisis days when you had these enormous um, uh, investment bank uh, balance sheets. Uh, playing the global markets uh, with leverages, uh, absurd leverage leverage levels that are no longer, uh, they are no longer able to run. But still, just an indication that there are strains here. Um, uh, some might argue that the the Fed, cognizant of the lesson perhaps from the uh, the situation in gilts when when they tried to launch their uh, fiscal package there, whatever. So we have a a very strong risk on reaction. I think the scale of it somewhat aggravated again by derivatives exposure and the anticipation. Uh, around the speech. And the key will be to see if, if the move sticks, obviously, as we end, whether the incoming data continues to confirm uh, what we're seeing uh, or, or confirm the market suspicion that we're seeing a deceleration in the growth outlook, uh, easing inflationary pressures, easing pressure and slackening. In the labor market, there was the ADP uh, payrolls, uh, private payrolls growth yesterday, also weak, 127K. That was the weakest in quite some time. Uh, we'll bring down a little bit the expectations for Friday's jobs numbers. But I guess, uh, Ola, in your space, the biggest reaction must have been uh, in precious metals. And we do have the, the China opening up story getting some uh, some additional fuel uh, as well overnight. Indeed, John. And uh, yes, uh, we've we've we continued um, what has already been a, a very strong month where we've seen silver jump 16 percent. We got gold up 8 uh, percent last month. And um, it is obviously the whole story about uh, the Fed pivot, uh, pivot, and the, the yeah, basically the rollover, which has seen a the dollar drop by close to five percent against the broad index and the sharp uh, drop in in bond yields as well. Really, just playing into the hands of of these uh, non-coupon and non-interest paying metals. So uh, silver is uh, as, as I show here on slide six, leading from the front. It's retraced half of the sell-off since uh, the May peak. And um, we're just hovering around this uh, 22, 25 level as we record this. So uh, a close above and, and I would say confirmed by that 22, 50 level could set, send the market uh, higher towards that 23, 35 level. So uh, it could an interesting uh, couple of days here in, in, the, in the silver market. Same goes for gold, uh, not to the same extent. We're still struggling to, uh, not strong, but still uh, not having, not not breaching this uh, 1788 level, which is uh, the first uh, signal that this market is is that this move higher is nothing is more than just a weak correction within a downtrend. So uh, that will be, be really be where the focus lies. But uh, overall, uh, that twenty dollar band between 1788 and 1808, that's really where where the battle is going to be fought out. And uh, if we do break above that, then the market is set up for I'll say a, a potential decent run up uh, as we head into 2023. You mentioned China, John, and I think we'll just uh, skip crude oil first and just go to uh, stay with the middles, uh, go to slide eight. I just put in the copper chart, also a decent recovery this week. And this is inter inter interesting, obviously, because it's happened in a week where we 
where the market uh, on at least on Friday took uh, took fright from this this rapidly spreading of the of the virus in in China and the uh, the potential and the protests we had over the weekend copper nevertheless has managed to move high and i think that basically is due to the signals that now are being sent from the officials in China, we put in a two comments from our daily quick take from our our economist based in in Hong Kong, basically just showing that the the reaction function this time round is different. They are lifting uh, some uh, lockdowns, even though we got the rising uh, count, and also they are finally uh, acknowledging that the Omicron variant is less deadly. Uh, all just basically sowing the seeds, I'll say, for the population to uh, become more comfortable, or or also for the, for the government to back down slowly. Uh, from its uh, from its high horse of uh, zero COVID uh, tolerance uh, towards a more manageable situation, and that obviously will play into the hands of of metals, given the potential for a pickup in in uh, in demand uh, from from uh, renewed uh, stimulus and so on. And um, yeah, we got the oil market as well, John. But I wonder if you want to add anything in there before. I go. No, I, I think uh, let's get to the oil market in a second. Just wanted to follow up on your precious metals comments with what happened in the, the FX market. So. Clearly, with uh, U.S. yields dropping all along the curve uh, there, and uh, do note that uh, we're now around 10, uh, just a little over 10 basis points in that key 3.5% level uh, on U.S. Treasuries. The biggest reaction in FX, if we uh, continue to look through the, the not just the immediate reaction, but overnight as well, with these lower yields was in the Japanese yen. Not a huge surprise there. I put up a chart there on slide five, down below the 137.50 area, and you can see that 200-day moving average uh, you know, rising rapidly. Uh, towards the current price action, uh, 134.50, suddenly not that far away. Uh, I think that'll be the next uh, key test there for, for that pair, as well as do uh, U.S. 10-year yields breach 3.5% level. We also have some chitter-chatter from the Bank of Japan overnight on the need to uh, to tinker with policy, but then the tinkering becomes less dramatic. <laughs> the more yen goes up and the more yields go down, uh, and I think it probably awaits new leadership, and they will probably have rolled out a lot of... Uh, um, you know, it'll be pretty clear what they're going to do before the fact, because I don't think they'll want to surprise the market uh, in that direction as much as they wanted to impress the market when they're coming up with the uh, dramatic uh, easing measures under Corona back in uh, 2013. Uh, elsewhere, not a lot of differentiation across FX. Uh, uh, otherwise, we are seeing that very weak Canadian dollar. Some of that on M&A, uh, HSBC divesting itself of its operations in Canada. That has been a big M&A impulse. And then just uh, continuing to be uh, amazed at the scale of the Kiwi strength. Uh, but uh, let's see how that behaves as a Kiwi dollar approaches its 200-day moving average. And you're seeing the metal strength there, but still mostly in silver. I'm a bit curious that uh, uh, that, that gold signal has not picked up a little bit more, uh, as you mentioned there, Ola. But let's, yeah, let's go over to crude oil market because we're coming up on an important day here at the start of next week with this. Uh, ban on Russian oil. There's been a lot of, uh, as far as I understand, a lot of uh, buying, uh, you know, front loading of buying of Russian oil ahead of this date uh, in Europe, the, uh, the 5th of December. Uh, and as well, some very interesting perspective on, <laughs> and it's just amazing that that the U.S. has done this, uh, draining its SPR, uh, so Strategic Petroleum Reserve, to end up exporting uh, a lot of that and just, you know, reducing its long-term uh, the long-term robustness of uh, of its uh, strategic reserves. Indeed, John, and uh, and I think it all just uh, ends up with at least with from our perspective in uh, concluding that this recent weakness in oil is just simply not warranted um, for several reasons. Um, first of all, let's take let's take China. We we dropped uh, fifteen dollars during the past week or so. 
based on the based on the on the risk to demand in China. But the the but the the demand drop we we've seen does not warrant a a, a decline in dollar in, in oil to that extent. Then we got the OPEC meeting coming up uh, on Monday as the market dropped. Uh, the majority of our analysts were looking for a cut. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, now that camp seems to be joining. They seem to be joining me. That they won't be doing anything this week. I think it will, uh, on Sunday. I think they will be high on high on. Uh, they'll be very vocal, but they will be low on action uh, because the, we have this EU, EU embargo on, on Russian oil kicking in from Monday, and uh, it it will have an impact on the availability of supply. And I think OPEC just really just want to see how what what kind of overall impact uh, we're gonna we're gonna see from this. And as you mentioned, John, uh, look at the inserts down slide seven. We're seeing crude oil. In the U.S. right now, even though we have this, um, we've seen this massive uh, sale from strategic reserves. We got crude oil inventories dropping away from wh what we normally should see at this time of year, where crude oil stocks tends to build. It's actually falling, and part of that is simply due to a record pace of exports of crude oil and and products to a market which is hungry for for supplies from other sources than Russia. And the uh, U.S. is really the only the one of the only valves where you can uh, where you can add a little bit of extra pressure and get some more. Uh, supplies out. The question is, how long will the U.S. government allow this to take on to to carry on? Um, and it also, to, to to my mind, just highlights a market which is not flushing in uh, flushing in 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 crude oil and, and barrels, uh, crude oil and, and 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 products. It is relatively tight. So um, so I think we are we are seeing a low here towards that eighty area. And I would I wouldn't be surprised if we if we return to this ninety to one hundred dollar level uh, sometime. In, uh, during the start of December, before market potentially tightens even further as we head into the into the new year, the big unknown obviously is whether we are going to see a recession and to the extent of which, how much that will impact uh, demand overall. But uh, but generally, a lot of that has been priced in already. All right, interesting to watch the energy market for sure, especially as the weather's gotten a lot colder here. Uh, in Europe and in the natural gas side of things. All right, the earnings watch uh, for this week, not a whole lot of uh, interest here, but uh, there are a couple of interesting uh, you know, developments and things we can watch uh, today. We have a number of Canadian banks reporting, again, the uh, the sort of mortgage angle in Canada is, is certainly very interesting with a very, very heavy load of private leverage in the Canadian economy linked to the housing market there, the bubble that never corrected or needed to correct because in the global financial crisis, they uh, cut rates before there was ever any sort of uh, leveraging up of uh, the system on anything the scale of like what was going on in the U.S. Um, so three of the big ones and the biggest one, Toronto Dominion Bank reporting today. Uh, we also have a couple of interesting semiconductor names or, or one semiconductor named Marvell and then Viva Systems, I think is a cloud sol solutions uh, companies on the order of 30 billion market cap. So it's not a tiny company. Uh, Marvel Technology, interesting on the 5G front. And you've seen a pretty tremendous rally off the low from that stock, uh, somewhat akin to what's going on in the NASDAQ 100. It closed very strongly yesterday at a local high. And you see uh, yesterday with CrowdStrike how uh, dramatically some of these uh, higher flying companies uh, that are growth stories are punished when they miss, even if the miss is just on a disappointing forecast and their actual current quarter results are not bad. But uh, one story I'd be interested in following here, or two maybe, is on the retail side in the U.S. So sort of a standard grocery chain Kroger uh, a big U.S. Uh, grocery store company. And then Dollar General. I think it's interesting when you put up a chart like I have on slide nine of Dollar General. Not too many equities these days that are hitting their uh, all-time highs. Uh, this is one of them uh, that has been hitting all-time highs recently. Obviously, a uh, uh, you know a company that would supposedly benefit from a uh, you know trading down because of inflationary cost of living increases 
let's see what they the let's see what they deliver. To my mind, looking at their results, it's not really doing much more than than tracking inflation and not even doing that in terms of real uh, turnover. I think that would be disappointing for that story. But let's see what they're saying about what they're observing among their customers, uh, as well as the same for Kroger, which is slightly more upscale than, than Dollar General. And then transitioning to the macro calendar highlights, so we have the key, uh, at least for now, the, the the really big key will be, of course, the November CPI data points. We're forward-looking than today's PCE inflation indicator, but today's is nonetheless important because it's what the Fed uses for its measure of inflation. Uh, but the last key U.S. data points ahead of that FOMC meeting on December 14th, besides the December 13th U.S. Uh, November CPI so PCE inflation, uh, and this is where the, the, the market will get very uncomfortable if we see a surprise to the upside on the core inflation. Only look at the core. I think that's the only thing the market will react to for better or worse. Expected at plus 0.3% month on month and plus 5% year on year. That would be a slight dip from the 5.1% reported in for the September month. And the peak was back in February at 5.4% on the core. So something hotter than expected, especially in the month on month. Would, would not sit well with the market reaction yesterday. Uh, as well, we have the ice in manufacturing. Expected to show, by the way, the um, the first print below 50 since those uh, pandemic-disrupted months in early 2020. We saw an extremely bad Chicago PMI yesterday, as mentioned at the top of the program. Not always a correlation with that, with the, um, uh, with the uh, nationwide ISM, but still watch for that. And the jobs report on Friday, where we have uh, non-farm payrolls and the average hourly earnings in focus. And we'll preview those, preview those a little bit in terms of market expectations with tomorrow's podcast. For now, uh, a very huge, uh, a very large uh, and significant reaction to Fed Chair Powell's speech is the pattern one of most of the move is the day of because of extreme leverage and, and exposure to that event risk. And with a sudden quiet in the market action, Following that, or do we have a new dynamic afoot, a new squeeze afoot now that we're looking at and even breaching key technical levels, uh, especially in the U.S. equity market, but in some places uh, in the U.S. dollar and elsewhere, too. So big questions to answer uh, both today and tomorrow and how we close this week. And we'll see where things stand tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>